Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 18,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you'll visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer, from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hi, we're glad you're with us. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC, and today we're talking with Dr. Kristen Tugman about mental health in the workplace. Dr. Tugman, who is Vice President of Health and Productivity and Holistic Wellness for Prudential, spoke on this topic during the 2023 DMEC FMLA ADA Employer Compliance Conference and has agreed to provide additional perspectives for podcast listeners today. You can also read a Q&A with Dr. Tugman that is published in Atwork Magazine, and we'll include a link to it in the notes section of this podcast. So during your presentation that was titled Mental Health at Work, Employee Rights, and Employer Responsibilities, mm-hmm. you posed the question, what does depression look like in the workplace, and how does it show up in the context of separating issues of performance from mental illness? Mm-hmm. You then added, and I'm quoting you here, maybe it is a performance issue, but we've got to ask the question first and give permission to ask for help. So I'm hoping you will talk about how managers and supervisors should approach the issue of mental health in the workplace and how they can safely engage in what you described as productive conversations with employees and when they hand off to human resources or absence management professionals. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things we have to recognize um, in most workplaces is that managers don't necessarily come to work every day understanding how to have conversations about mental health. And they don't even necessarily think that that's part of their role. But where we are getting to in the workforce in general is that employees are expecting a commitment to mental health and mental well-being and i think that was starting even pre-pandemic but as we watch employees sort of shift their priorities and think about um, sort of re-emerging from the pandemic and ultimately it's natural we all reprioritize after a crisis and we think about what's important and they want to know that in the in their work where they spend so much time that they are cared for and that their employer cares about their mental health and well-being we're we're going to see that even more as new generations step into the workplace generation z talks openly about mental health and that's going to be a big piece of of how they make their decisions relative to the the employers of choice um, as they as they enter the workforce. So it's it's becoming more and more important. So I say all that to say that one of the the most important ways that we can equip managers with the ability to think about mental health in the workplace is to train them. So I absolutely recommend employee sensitivity or employer sensitivity trainings, meaning um, managers understanding what depression looks like in the workplace 
and what depression and anxiety, um, what things to say and not to say, because as much as we think it, it can sometimes be intuitive, it, it's not. Um, we know, you know, all too often um, in corporate America, we are doing more with less and we're trying to hit our productivity goals and we're moving at the speed of sound. And if folks aren't productive, we do want to jump to the conclusion that it's a performance issue. So managers have to know that part of their role is um, climate and creating a culture of mental health and well-being. And so they're not going to just come to the table knowing that we have to train them. And we have to help them understand why mental health is important and how it impacts productivity and and again what it looks like and so generally what depression and anxiety can look like in the workplace is a performance issue um, and so if you think about depression right so when folks are depressed they're not getting joy out of things that they used to get joy out of they are typically pretty fatigued and that's either because they're not sleeping at night or they're feeling like they want to sleep too much, maybe that's an escape. Um, they feel confused and um, have a hard time keeping, um, keeping their concentration intact. And so what does that show up like at work? It shows up as poor quality. It shows up as I didn't make my deadline. It shows up as maybe I'm offline um, at times when you didn't expect me to be offline. It, they might, if they're coming into the office, they might show up late. They might be cranky, right? And they might not be the, the most fun folks to be around. Um, mm -hmm. So you, you might see their relationships with coworkers deteriorating. But so the challenge is not to jump to the conclusion that that's a performance issue. And the key is to recognize a shift in how someone is behaving and then be able to take a step back and have a conversation about it. So I've noticed that you have missed the last two report deadlines and that's not like you. Is there something I can do to help? And just offering that, um, that dialogue is going to help an employee not be put on the defensive. It's going to help an employee recognize that their manager cares and it's going to help the employee recognize that it's okay for them to talk about what's happening for them. And that's that's really, really important um, if we're going to maintain the productivity of our workforce. And again, it doesn't come naturally. So we've got to set that expectation that mental health is important in the workplace. I mean, we all have mental health every single day. And I think we forget about that, mm -hmm. right? We know we have physical health. We know we might wake up with a sinus infection or we've got allergies in the spring and I'm just not myself today, but we all, it's the same with mental health. We all have mental health. We might have some, a stressor happening and it's making us feel like we're not ourselves today and that's okay. We've really got to focus on equalizing mental and physical health in the workplace. I think you're mentioning the allergy piece is a really good example because we, we feel very comfortable talking about allergies or maybe you have a cold, not about feeling depressed or anxious. And I think you've already answered really the, the follow-up question that I had in terms of how managers uh, give permission to ask for help. Is it maybe as simple and, and maybe simple isn't the right word there, but for a manager to say, how can I help? You know, I think so, but I think it, you know, it starts before that. It starts before the one-on-one -on -one when you have to say, hey, you've been missing deadlines. Is there something going on? And, you know, what do you need and how can I help? It it starts with creating a culture of mental well-being and really opening sort of the ability for employees to have a dialogue about mental health, just as we were just talking about how it's 
um, it's normal to say, hey, I'm a little stuffed up today, so forgive me if I don't sound like myself or feel like myself. We've got to be able to do that with mental health. And it that comes from being sort of diligent about conversations around mental health. We, it doesn't just, again, it doesn't just happen. We, um, we need to do things like expect that managers will, you know, maybe in a team huddle or a, a staff meeting will say, hey, really, how is everybody doing? Um, you know, we want to make sure that you are taking care of your self-care. What's one thing that you have done this week to take care of yourself and have folks, you know, talk about their self-care? Hey, you know, I, I um, you know, typically maybe I'll take a break and I'll go for a two-minute walk outside just to get some fresh air. Um, by doing that consistently, then, then at the time at which somebody actually is experiencing an emerging mental health condition, they're much more comfortable talking about it and sharing it and asking for the help that they need at the time that they need it. So it's definitely not a just in this pocket, we're going to ask the question. It has to be a consistent theme across the workforce. You know, I like to see, I like to think about it in sort of a, a pyramid <clears throat> as we think about building a culture of, of mental well-being because we know um, you know today basically what we do is we wait in the world of mental health and in the workplace and in our communities we wait for somebody to need something and then we hope that they know where to go to get the eap number not even thinking about the fact that they might not be motivated to do that legwork because they are depressed and feeling anxious and they don't know where to turn and they're not thinking clearly. Um, but we also hope they can get an appointment, right? 12% of therapists are accepting new patients. So it's, in my view, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our worlds, um, it's really a moral imperative to think about mental health and well-being differently and to communicate about it differently. And so if we keep doing what we're doing, we're, this mental health crisis will never be mitigated. It will only continue to increase um, because we don't, have, we don't have access to care. And so we've got to think about, again, how do we equalize mental and physical health? How do we have, and, and the workplace is such a, an amazing opportunity because we all come to work um, we all under we all know each other. You know, we we talk a lot of times about our work family and our coworkers really impact our emotional well being. They just do. Um, and so, if we can again create this culture that allows us to talk about mental health, and so you know, a lot of times that's um, having like a steady drumbeat of um, maybe events, and it's not one and done. You don't have just. I don't recommend just having one event during uh, May for Mental Health Awareness Month, but have events throughout throughout the course of the year. And they don't have to be dramatic. They can be um, using employee resource groups or they can be um, just kind of taking a minute in a town hall to have um, an executive share their own mental health story. Um, and, and if we can do that, then we start to normalize the conversation around mental well-being. And the next piece um, that I think is really effective is, you know, it's folks need to know that they can vent um, and, and they have a safe space to do that. And sometimes that's all we need. And so we, we recommend doing things like um, peer support. Maybe you have um, folks go through mental health first aid. There's always um, in a workplace people who are passionate about mental health and well-being, who've had their own experiences, who want to give back and want to help others. And it's really effective to know that there are co-workers, uh, peers who you can talk to. And not that they they're anywhere near acting as a therapist, but they're, they're listening. 
and and then providing resources um, to an individual to make sure they're getting the help that they need at the time that they need it. Um, and then we're always going to need um, um, access to therapists and we're always going to need crisis intervention. But I hope that if we build that culture, then less folks sort of move up um, a level on that pyramid um, that I sort of visualize as I talk about this. So again, kind of a long winded way to get back to, you know, how do how do you create the environment in which employees are comfortable talking about their mental health? It has to be a collective comprehensive effort in my view, where we all take responsibility for mental well-being, and it's just, it's gonna take time, absolutely. It's, it's a huge culture shift, um, but that's when employees are gonna feel comfortable raising their hand and saying that they need something. It absolutely is a huge uh, culture shift. And, and that leads me into my next question for you, which is really that need for employers, as you mentioned, uh, to change their attitudes about mental health issues. And I liked what you said about the fact that talking about these issues is not intuitive and there is a lot of fear and that we assume that people are manipulating the system, especially when there's a disability that we can't see. So. In terms of the steps that employers can take to address this issue or shift that attitude about mental health, mm -hmm. do you have some recommendations? So it, it's definitely hand in hand with culture because, you know, so if we're living in a culture that doesn't necessarily recognize mental and physical health equally, we're going to have a much harder time um, giving folks grace and space to heal when, um, when it's a, a situation or a, a health condition that we can't see. Um, and so it's, it's so interesting. I think, it, you know, when I think about just the psychology of it, um, you know, our brains are trained to think negatively. We actually have to really work to get our brains to, to immediately think positively or think positive intent. And so if you couple that sort of propensity with the notion that, you know, most of us at work are, um, doing more with less, right? And we're we're just doing the best we can to meet our performance goals and moving really quickly and trying to be as productive as possible. When somebody suddenly can't do it, and we don't have that culture that you know really accepts um, mental health, and we're still living in a, a world of stigma, we're going to immediately sort of jump to the conclusion: Why can't Joe keep up his end of the bargain? Like everybody else is stressed, everybody else is coming in every day, everybody else is getting their work done you know, what's that person's problem? Are they just trying to get out of it? And we get, you know, and because in the end, you know, there's a lot of employers that don't necessarily have policies and practices around having conversations and trying to adjust um, job tasks and keep people at work. Then suddenly that person's out of work and we're picking up, um, you know, extra work um, because they're not able to do it. And so it does create a level of frustration. So, you know, that's again, that's why we've got to have this culture of mental well-being, because generally what happens right when somebody so somebody is experiencing a mental health challenge or condition. We've talked about what that looks like at work. Ultimately, that it's not like that person is oblivious to the fact that their their job performance might be suffering. And, and a lot of times there's shame and guilt with that. And then the individual goes out of work and is concerned that my coworkers are going to be upset with me because I know they're having to pick up my slack. And so ultimately that exacerbates the anxiety 
that the person is experiencing. There's anxiety about coming back to work. And in the end, it likely prolongs their their disability event and they're out longer than than we would anticipate. So it gets back to culture. And if we're normalizing mental health and somebody actually needs to go out, we we have an environment that accepts that, that supports that and stays in touch with the individual, helps them feel comfortable about their need for recovery and then sets them up for success when they return and really talks to them about what it's going to be like. You know, it's okay. Um, Are there things that we need to modify for a little bit in order to make sure that you're successful? That's the ultimate um, environment setting folks up for success um, versus, you know, where we might tend to live, which is in a world of stigma and cynicism um, that ultimately prolongs somebody's disability event. I, I think that's such an important component about that shame and guilt for someone who is struggling with a mental health issue and is out of work and then worries about their colleagues. That's a something that may not occur to people who are who are dealing with this. So that's helpful. And I think earlier in our conversation, you mentioned the fact that only 12% of therapists are accepting new patients. That was something that you also mentioned during your presentation, uh, along with the need for employers to be more innovative with their with care options. Will you share some ideas for how employers can be more innovative in this area? I think one of the most important things is for employers to be honest about it. Um, just in terms of you know their evaluation of what's really happening within their benefits, take a look at your EAP utilization, and to, and take a look at the ability to actually get in to see a therapist. How long is it taking for the individual to get a call back? How long is it taking for the individual to actually get an appointment? How satisfied are those employees with the care provider that they they were originally given? Think about that with your health plan. How long does it take to get in to see a provider? Um, talk to your employees about the gaps and be honest about it. Don't don't shy away from it. You know, sometimes we don't want to hear bad news, um, but it's really important to to understand the reality of what employees are dealing with when they when they seek care. So we can start with that baseline. What so what are the gaps, and then how do we fill the gaps? Um, and one of the you know, there's a new digital solution that coming out from a mental health perspective almost every day. Um, and I think they are good alternatives. We just want to make sure that they're meeting the needs of employees. So, um, you know, there's a lot of great ones that that do pretty simple things around um, yeah, resilience training and meditation and um, naturally reducing anxiety. But those are typically pre-mental health conditions. So just be aware of that. Um, I like the ones that really emphasize a um, clinical connection but also meet you where you are on your mental well-being journey. And so, you know, wouldn't it be great if we have um, access to a tool that, you know, can start us off um, before we have a mental health challenge, really thinking about um, resilience techniques and mindfulness techniques, because we all we all could do stress reduction um, every day. Like I said, we have mental health every single day. So it's important to um, use use the tools around self-awareness and self-preservation as, as much as we can to get to avoid a mental health challenge or mental health condition. Um, and so to have those tools that um, allow us to have that self-awareness, maybe take um, mental health assessments, depression screenings, anxiety screenings periodically. Again, just like we would have a physical checkup. Um, I don't understand why, you know, we think we talk about preventive medicine, 
why that doesn't equate to preventive medicine for mental health. Um, we really should, we should think about it differently in my view. And so um, if we have those tools, again, maybe we don't get to a point of needing therapy, but I like the clinical ability to have a clinical interaction so that if somebody does have an exacerbation of symptoms and it looks like they need therapy, to have somebody be able to actually reach out to them and talk to them and make a referral to a provider um, is really important because like we said, we wait for somebody to need something and then we hope that they have the wherewithal and the ability to, to proactively reach out on their own. Typically that's not realistic. And so that clinical interaction I think is really important to get people access to the care that they need. And there are additional community resources that a lot of folks don't know about. Um, we do work with a group called Neuroflow that um, follows sort of that same pattern that I recommended um, and talked about. There are, there are, you know, certainly are others that um, that employers can consider, but I would just say, you know, again, be creative, meet people where they are in their mental well-being journey. Don't wait for them to need something. Provide them the tools through these solutions, and but be mindful of it having a clinical interaction so we can get to people when they need care and get them an actual appointment. Um, it, you know, it doesn't solve it all. Um, we are in a, a mental health provider shortage, but um, but it doesn't mean it's not worth the effort to try to figure out how we can get more people access to the care that they need it at the time that they need it. One of the comments that you, you've made in the past is uh, we need to go upriver and figure out why people are falling in instead of throwing people life vests. Yeah. And I think it's such a great visual. What are the things that, that you can do to identify early on um, mm -hmm. that, that there is a, an issue brewing. I think one of the mistakes that um, employers make is they don't make it a part of performance objectives. Um, all too often we have managers who really are technical experts and not necessarily, um, you know, they don't necessarily consider themselves um, to have so the soft people skills. Um, and, and those, while we call them soft, um, they're, they're just as important as having technical skills. It's being a manager is a dual role. You have to make sure that you're working with employees and giving them job satisfaction and developing them and building relationships and making them feel comfortable at work while um, maintaining the integrity of the work that you do and meeting your um, technical performance objectives. And so I think, you know, it's important to really demonstrate to future employees and current employees, if you're going to, um, you know, maintain the, uh, or retain the employees that you want to retain to show them that this comes from the top down. This is, uh, part of our performance objectives. We expect that managers think about climate, um, just as much as they think about their, um, actual productivity objectives. That's great. And and it kind of brings us full circle. One of the first things you said is making sure that managers realize that mental health, mental well-being is part of their role. And mm -hmm. I I would think that 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 is not common for most employers. I think that would go a long way in terms of of changing some of that culture, making sure that mental health and well-being is as top of mind for employers as that physical well-being. So thank you so much for your time today and your willingness to talk with us. That's great. Thank you so much for having me.